welcome to episode 52 of the Infectious Historians podcast. I'm Merle Eisenberg. And I'm Lee Mordecai. It's March 14th, and in today's episode, it's just going to be us, which regular listeners know we do maybe every few months or so. We did this today since it's our 52nd episode, so our one-year anniversary doing this once a week since the beginning of COVID. I actually never thought we'd make it to episode 10, let alone do weekly episodes for an entire year, basically without fail. So I'm quite impressed. And congrats to you, Lee, for making it this far. Thanks, Merle, and congrats to you as well. If I remember correctly, at some point in the beginning of this podcast, we spoke about how I think about half the podcasts do not reach episode 10. I think that was a statistic one of our colleagues mentioned. So we have we have done pretty well, I'd say. So yeah, congrats to, to you, to both of us. And actually, I checked and we started recording March 27th. So somehow we've done more than an episode per week because this is already episode 52. Now, we didn't really have a plan on of how long this was going to go or what exactly we were aiming to do. Although we will touch upon what our plans were in the conversation today and what we have done in a little bit, but what we want to do above everything else today is really to talk about some themes that have emerged from the 51 episodes that we've done so far. Maybe think about some things that we've learned and sketch out where we might see the podcast going in the future. Yeah, I think that's a good broad outline to this episode that we'll get into shortly. But before we do that, let's check in with you, Lee, uh, about COVID at one year in Israel. So how are things going? Anything new happening? So I'll start by saying that today is the first day of the spring semester. So that is definitely something big that's going on. But more broadly, things are getting back to normal. So restaurants and shops are open. Schools are open. Weather is nice. And I think everyone just wants to forget about this past year now. Now, my family, so myself, my wife, uh, my daughter, we've all been sick for about a week now, thanks to my daughter who brought back some some bug from daycare. But we're getting along, I'd say. Yeah, well, I do feel bad for you, Lee, for getting sick from your daughter all the time. As I think I said to you, it takes a while to build up immunity for anyone who goes to daycare. And the problem she's obviously had is the daycare keeps closing. So I guess she keeps losing her immunity and then needing to rebuild it again. So that's probably why you keep getting sick. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think also that I've I've really experienced how sensitive babies are, right? So once you change their their daily schedule, they can really flip out. And I, I kind of heard about this before, but I never experienced it until having a daughter. So yeah, that's that's something I learned this past year for sure. Just wait until you guys get to daylight savings time in a week or two, and then she'll, her schedule will be a mess again. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fun. We have another week. Although it will be during her break, so I think we, we will have some more uh, room for maneuver, let's say. But how is COVID for you, Merle, when you're after? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've tracked, as listeners know, how people are thinking via people walking around my neighborhood, which is during the day, generally older, retired, semi-retired people. You mean walking with masks or without masks? So that's the thing, right? During the height of our, whatever you want to call it, December surge, everyone had a mask on. And now we're back to a situation where when you walk down the streets outside, people usually have a mask with them, but not necessarily on. And they're often walking with a friend now, for example. That seems pretty reasonable, I would say. What about your kids? Are they still policing the residents of Annapolis? Yeah, I mean, the kids are much better than most other people. So they wear masks when they approach people still. So, you know, that's kind of a positive thing that they're properly behaving and no one else is. I mean, yeah, on one level, it's reasonable. But I think what it shows is kind of what people are thinking, which is the case counts are down from their high. I mean, they're actually exactly where they were in the spring. So somewhere between 90 and 80 cases a day in Anne Arundel County. So 
that's where it was, I think, last April, May, essentially. So really no change in that regard. But what I think has happened is people are basically either some people are getting vaccinated, some people are not. And I think it's just a general sense, as you said, that people want to, you know, pretend as if this thing is kind of in its end stage, shall we say. Yeah, no, no, that, that's fair. And do your kids still point at other people and try to police them? Yeah, what's actually interesting I've come to notice is they only get people in the context in which they're supposed to be. So some of our neighbors across the street, they see them in other places. They saw one of them in the playground the other day, and they completely flipped out because he wasn't across the street. Even though they know him and they like him a lot, when he was in the playground, he was not supposed to be there. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. So to begin our reflections, I actually, when I was at a different playground the other day, Lee, I listened to our first episode. This is actually episode zero. So technically, Lee, this is actually episode 53. (laughs) But there are a few things that I noticed that were, I think, worth talking about. And what I wanted to talk about first were, I guess, what we call during this podcast, meta questions, right? What we said this podcast was going to be about and then turn to what we've done and what we've learned in terms of themes for many of our guests. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan, Merle, especially since there are episodes that we've done that personally I could never have conceived of as doing a year ago. And there are also topics we claimed we would do, but we haven't really done. Although, I mean, there still is obviously some time to to do these moving forward. So... You also listen to episode zero, Lee, from what you tell me. Other than your mic at the time being less than ideal, did you have any other thoughts on it? You know, Merle, so I actually haven't listened to any of the old episodes. So once we edit the episodes, we release them, and I kind of like forget about them. I, I, I haven't listened to any of these episodes afterwards. So I haven't listened to episode zero in a year, and, and I thought it would be very bad. And I guess I was pleasantly surprised to discover that it wasn't very bad. It was only bad. I mean, I recorded on the phone and while the quality drop was definitely noticeable compared to my current pink microphone that we've mentioned a few times, it wasn't unlistenable, which which I guess is a good thing. I, I should also say that editing was also much less tight than our current editing. So we've clearly taken some major steps in the past year. Yeah, you've become something of an authoritarian when it comes to editing, but that's a longer discussion. Now, what we said early on is that we were going to talk about diseases in different time periods and contexts, especially those that became pandemics, and then reflect upon issues of relevancy during COVID today. Now, I think we've done the first one pretty well, And I'm quite proud of that. So, for example, we've looked at cholera, but not in the U.S. or Europe, where they're often studied, but actually in Iran as an episode on that disease with Amir Afkami, which was, I think, a great way not just to discuss cholera, but also discuss some broader themes of, say, colonialism, imperialism, and modernity. But what we haven't done as many of are the COVID-specific episodes, I think. Yeah, so I guess we'll get back to these broader themes, uh, the colonialism and imperialism. We'll probably discuss them a bit later today. And as for the COVID-specific episodes, we did do a few of them early on, for example, with Michelle Smirnova and Fuchsia Hoover on questions of inequality and COVID. And I think these were actually pretty early on uh, before public discourse really started to focus on these questions. We also had an episode, a later episode with AJ Herman on the response of Kansas City, Missouri to the pandemic. But what we really did was actually use those as touchstones and themes to ask our guests about and then use scholarship to explore different topics. So whether these would be about questions of race and class and historical disease outbreaks, for example, like the, the recent episode we just did with Ermi Willoughby or building themes about the media, for example, the episodes we had with Katie Foss or Dia Benton. So what I think we realized is that what we had to offer in this particular podcast that was unique 
was really the historical context of how diseases shape society and how we might use those stories really to think or rethink our present situation, broadly speaking. Yeah, I think that's a good point about what we have to offer. And I also think there's a practical note, and you know me, Lee, I like to use the term mechanical actually here, which is that many of our networks and who we know are based on historians or people who work historically. So we get a lot of suggestions from previous guests who are historians. And those are the questions that ultimately actually interest us too, I think. And I think there's a lot more that history can do to help shape policy outcomes now and you know, possibly in the future, which is something that I think future guests are going to talk to us about moving forward in the next few weeks. Yeah, Merle, I know this is a topic you're particularly interested in, partially because of your background in, in that broad theme. I will say, though, on the context of, of networks that I think one of the advantages of this podcast have been some of the guests that we've found really based on whether this was emails by listeners or people who know people or really random acquaintances that turned out to be outside our network, but maybe even more interesting because of that. And I'm thinking specifically about Vincent Recaniello, for example, a virologist who I think most historians would probably not know of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a good way to build out our own networks and bring people together who might often not talk to each other and might often not work together necessarily, right? So that you have people working on modern topics, maybe listening to podcasts about pre-modern topics and vice versa. Which is exceptional in these days because you have these podcasts, right? So this was not something that you could do, let's say, a decade ago before you had this infrastructure of relatively specialized podcasts. I mean, we are, I would say, a very specialized podcast compared to to many others. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. depends on how you define that, right? I mean, we work across all time and all geographical spaces, which is pretty broad. Now it's all historical. But, you know, in that sense, it can be broad. But with that set of meta questions on how we think we've done in our podcast, I wanted to turn to some of the broad themes that came up during the course of this podcast. I think none of which were on purpose, but were topics that we built up over time as we realized people were reflecting on them more and more. And these have ebbed and flowed across the podcast. And I'd list them perhaps as the following. Local experience during a pandemic. And I think that's something that was very strong in the first third or maybe even half of the podcast. The second topic, I think that we've talked about a a bit, and this is a good list for you, Lee, are popular narratives of particular diseases, right? So how they figured into what we think about them. The third are perhaps remembering and forgetting the impact of disease, which is very much tied into popular narratives. The fourth is probably questions of colonialism and imperialism, especially across your favorite time period, the late 19th century. I came to realize, Merle, that you really like isms, like things that finish with ism. It's like a good word, I guess. But yeah, go on, go on with your list. I like it. It's called being a historian, Lee. We love isms. Well, some of us do, others don't. (laughs) And finally, most recently, are the ways that history might be able to influence policy decisions in the future. So with those broad topics I think we've covered in this podcast, Lee, do you want to talk about local experience first and how we thought about that and how that came up? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. So let's just work through these, I guess, or discuss these until we get bored. So for local experience, I would say that we started covering it pretty early on, but I think we kind of stopped somewhere in the middle. So maybe somewhere around the fall of 2020 or so. Our interest in local experience really comes out of our research interests, back on our own specific research on the Justinianic plague. So I think that's where it started from. And I think we kind of moved this interest to the present 
or to the more recent past, so to speak. So on one hand, I think we have always tried to nuance the big stories about pandemics. And we really do this even every episode, right? So when we talk about how COVID is for you, for myself, for our guests, so it's essentially that. It's essentially local experience. But I think that on the other hand, this kind of brings us back to a distinction we, we had between lumpers and splitters. So to split things up to local experiences, to all local experiences, kind of loses value at some point. And you would want, at least that's my position now, you would want to start lumping some of these experiences back together. So, so to be able to tell bigger stories than how COVID has been experienced in, let's say, Annapolis or Jerusalem or so on. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think it both came out of our own interest, as you pointed out, and also out of talking to guests who we learned, you know, interesting stuff, right? I still remember how South Africa banned all cigarette sales. It's one of those stories that sticks into my head probably forever versus say Kazakhstan took a long, long time to actually even get a case of COVID comparatively. Right. But when you think about it, and I think that's actually interesting to think about the different guests we've had and the different experiences they've had and and spoke about on this podcast. So for many of these, you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. It's a very different experience of COVID than the one I, I have in my own community, town, city, university, whatever. But what else can you do with it other than realizing that things are different, which... I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty obvious, right? Yeah, no, that's perfectly fair, Um, which is why I think we've moved it to the what's happening around you segment as fulfilling that rather than asking about it particularly. And I think it's also the case is as we've covered more and more diseases, outbreaks, pandemics, whatever you're thinking, each one of them the person has situated their work within that local context. So we've built that in, right? So the most obvious here is Ermi last week talked about yellow fever in New Orleans. And so we talked about what is yellow fever, but then we moved on pretty quickly to what the actual experience in New Orleans was. So everyone does this, but it's now more implicit, I think, in the podcast moving forward. And I think there's a challenge in talking about local experience, which is you can always get more local, right? You could talk about New Orleans, but you could also talk about specific communities in New Orleans. Yeah, it's kind of an infinite way in which you could drill down to each place, right? That my experience in Eastport of Annapolis is different than if you lived, say, downtown in Annapolis, which is fair. Right. And I think this actually leads us to the second point, which are popular narratives or really disease in popular culture. And in a sense, I would say, that popular culture gives all of us really some common experience, right? It kind of frames our experience of a disease, whether real or fictional, whether through, let's say, film or through media in the same terms. So that becomes, at least in a sense, the common experience, let's say, of Ebola maybe or COVID. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I also think that this quote-unquote difference between popular and academic writing on a subject, which are often framed as quite different, are often, and in fact are, linked together, right? So that how academics write about something or why they write about a topic, especially when it comes to disease, is really framed by some of these popular ideas of them. So that what's happening, quote-unquote, at the time matters to the stories that we tell about the past. So in other words, what you're saying, Merle, is that during COVID and maybe after COVID, we will tell different stories about the same past compared to the stories we may have told before COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think at least in our narrow field of, let's call it plague studies, the number of people who work in the field who have been called upon to give talks in various venues has increased significantly. The number of 
books that I'm sure will come out will increase significantly. The number of articles in the topic, I know I've read some recently and you've read some recently, is certainly increasing. So that, you know, people are going to put a COVID frame on whatever it is that they're doing. And I guess the question then is whether their perspective of the past disease, let's say plague, will change as a result of the present. I mean, you know, this leads naturally, I think, into another point, which is about forgetting and remembering, right? In the sense of no one was really writing about the 1918 influenza pandemic, as Guy Biner pointed out to us, and we kind of had thought through as well, except at moments in which other diseases became important, right? Or say the 100th anniversary of the 1918 influenza pandemic. And then the stories that they were telling, the epilogue, as he pointed out, is always the same, right? We can't forget 1918 because if we do, we're going to get hit by something else. So we have to use it to plan for the future, which is essentially what COVID is to an extent. But it's not as if that remembering, which was happening over the last decade, really shaped, at least in the U.S.'s perspective, our response to this pandemic. Yeah, although it has been a story that people have been getting back to, really. Different aspects of the 1918 pandemic, the, the whole question of whether we've learned or maybe we haven't learned anything from it. And I think that brings us to a, another larger point, I guess, which is the future effects COVID will have about how we think about diseases and pandemics, really. Yeah, I think as John McNeil pointed out, historians aren't especially good at predicting, right? I mean, we're usually actually quite bad at it. I think actually everyone's quite bad at it. The economists just do it more often so they can be wrong actually more often. But the couple times they're right, then they trumpet that. But that's a slight digression, as I would say. But I do think we are potentially living through a point in which what people think disease does in the past is going to become more substantial, right? So the stories we tell about diseases and the narratives we spin about them are going to become more central to the history people write. In a sense, I think this is a moment that that's not very different from the moment in, let's say, the, the 80s and early 90s, in which infectious diseases kind of got back into the fore or got much more public attention. And I guess the, the interesting question here is how exactly will COVID change the way we think about diseases and or pandemics, epidemics, and so on? And if we look at COVID since the beginning and then over the past year or so, I think it's pretty clear that some of the narratives surrounding COVID have changed relatively significantly. So I think you remember, Merle, this was a favorite talking point of yours a while ago. Early on during the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about how COVID would re reduce inequality and kind of make, make the world more equal. And I think at this point, we could probably all agree that it hasn't done that. I remember early on in the pandemic that there was a lot of concern about extremely high mortality, as in hundreds of millions of people dying, and there was very little we could do about it. And I think that narrative also kind of disappeared at some point. And another point that has been made multiple times, actually, and I think is still around, is the point about future pandemics, which is one of the things that you kind of alluded to earlier on. Simply put, the idea that this is not going to be the last pandemic, and this is not a new idea by any standard, but maybe, hopefully, this will become more prevalent, ingrained in people's thinking. Yeah, I think something that I've already written and reflected upon, but I think that this will become perhaps done by others moving forward is looking at how historians made predictions in the early days of COVID and use those predictions to tell stories about the present, the past, the future, kind of everything and anything. And interestingly enough, 
in some ways because history articles take so long to come out. Some of them that were written in the very early days of COVID are, by the time they even came out, astonishingly bad or wrong, I guess I should say, not bad. I mean, if you want to talk about the discipline so we could actually do that, I know that one of the places where we've been wrong is the job market, the academic job market. So I don't know if you remember this, Merrill, but we spoke about this several times early on in the pandemic, and we kind of guessed that there would be more interest in jobs of historians that can teach disease, that can work on disease. And I think broadly speaking, at least my sentiment based on the conversations I've had, some of the, the conversations we've had on this podcast, is that academic historians have not really changed that much, right? There haven't been multiple job openings for historians who work on disease of any of any kind or any place. And I think that many history departments or universities more broadly don't, don't seem to offer any disease courses as a result of the pandemic. So some do, of course. I mean, Janet McKay, which we've had on the podcast, but I think she's maybe an exception rather than the rule. Is no one at Hebrew U teaching, say, either modern disease courses or maybe I know you're teaching or have taught some pre-modern ones, but no one's teaching like a broad sweeping history? History of disease? No, there hasn't been any. And part of the issue, at least for us, is that you have to register your classes almost a year in advance. So in the mid-fall semester, you have to submit classes for the entire next year. So you're committing to courses a year and a year and a half from, from that time. And I, I was really fortunate to have submitted a class about, let's say, uh, pandemics and disease in film, which turned out to be very successful and relevant to the times. But that was a, a coincidence. It was not planned. Yeah, so maybe that's part of the issue is how far in advance these things are planned. But it is a point, right? I mean, I think there was an upswing in people thinking about disease and pandemics last spring. I mean, we put on a series of seminars at the time that had upwards of 200 people in attendance on Zoom. And there was a sprinkling of stuff in the fall, both that we've given talks and I know other people have, but... To an extent, other than that, I think it's kind of subsided actually quite a bit. Yes, it, it has subsided. And maybe to bring things back to teaching, at least my experience is that there hasn't been interest from the university or my department in asking people broadly or me personally to teach these things. Right, so nobody came up to us and said, like, tapped their shoulder and said, "Oh, can you please teach this? We think it's relevant. We think it could attract students." And this might be explained by the decentralization in academia, right? And so the freedom of every person to kind of teach whatever they want, or maybe more or less, could result in nobody actually choosing to teach this. Yeah, that's fair. It's also, to my mind, to an extent a missed opportunity probably in a course or courses that people probably do want to know something about. And at least for the next five years, one would presume would be particularly popular. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. So the other topic that came up quite a bit in our episodes were questions of imperialism and colonialism centered in particular around Lee's favorite time period, which is the late 19th and early 20th century. So maybe Lee, you can tell listeners, why do you love that time period so much? So I think one of the things that we realized maybe a bit before we started this podcast, but definitely much more since we've started this podcast is how central the, the late 19th, early 20th century has been for so many of these discussions so many of these ideas about, and so many of the problems concerning public health. Now, this particular time period is also the time period in which both imperialism and colonialism, which are your favorites, Merle, you kind of like those isms, as you said earlier, but you just like to say those words, I think. 
So, but both those isms, right? So both those long, larger scale processes are definitely a big part of the story in that time frame. So I think what we've realized or what we've noticed really over the course of this podcast is how difficult it is to decouple the diseases from, again, again both imperialism and colonialism. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. And I was definitely being sarcastic that it was your favorite time period, Lee. But it is interesting when thinking about those topics, the different field in which people come from really shapes very often the questions they ask and what side of those topics they're interested in, right? So they might approach this as historians of, say, race and gender and class and sexuality, and then they're going to be concerned with colonialism and imperialism itself, maybe less so than the disease versus some of them come at it from a history of medicine perspective, and they're interested in questions of medicine and the disease. And other people are historians of science, so they're curious about the science behind some of all these developments of bacteriology and germ theory. So I think that also really shapes what angle they come at from these questions I've noticed. Right. And also, if we think about this at a meta level, which I know you like, Merle, trying to tie questions about disease, for example, to these broader processes, again, imperialism, colonialism, is really a way in which you can, or maybe you're supposed to speak to audiences who are not specifically in your field, who are not immediately around you. It kind of gives, I would say, a large group of scholars, historians specifically, some common frame of reference that they can all talk about and, and discuss. And yeah, we might want to think about this a bit further later on in this discussion. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll say in this segment is it's interesting to see which of these broader stories and how particular scholars discuss the impact of disease, right? So there's a mortality, there's disruption, although there's uncertainty in a lot of these numbers, for example. But I think one thing we've become more attuned to is how do you connect those immediate effects with secondary or tertiary effects over, say, the next year, several years, or even decades, right? That's really hard to do. I mean, it's even difficult to do now, right? So take, take I don't know, events that have happened over the past year. I think maybe a good type of event would be the U.S. general elections, right? Did Donald Trump lose the elections because of COVID? I mean, if this were 1,500 years ago, right, it would be very easy to say, oh, yeah, that's because of the pandemic or a disease or anything like that. But if you think about it about today, about the 21st century, I think most people, historians, observers, commentators, and so on, would probably be uneasy to, to tie the general elections results to COVID specifically. I mean, the easy way out is, of course, to say, yes, it influenced it, but that doesn't really say all that much, right? Yeah, it's interesting how much sometimes we want to make things direct causes. But as you said, it's more influencing correlation, these types of questions. And as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast and in our own written work, the farther back you go in the past, the more you're willing to make a disease or any of these kind of big events into the single cause because you just have less evidence. Yeah, and as you said earlier, I think once you move away from the primary effects and move on to, to really longer term effects, so things that happen, let's say, in a decade. So are we going to explain the problems, let's say, of 2030 or 2050 or whatever by COVID? It seems pretty short-sighted when you think about it for the 21st century. But again, multiple historians have done it, uh, connecting, let's say, the fall of the Roman Empire to our favorite uh, Justinianic plague. Yeah, Lee, everything seems to go back to the Justinianic plague for you. <laughs> I mean, we are obsessed with that plague, right? That's, I think, And I think actually some of our listeners have also 
been interested in it, so to speak. That's our most listened episode, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's a fair point. Maybe that's a good segue then, Lee, to talk about a few more broad questions and maybe where we think the podcast is going moving forward. And also perhaps to provide people some background behind the scenes, as it were. So one thing I'll just say to begin with is we've aimed very specifically to be as geographically and temporally, those are L-Y words, Lee, not isms, as broad as we possibly can. So as many continents and across as many time periods as possible. And I think, to be honest, our success here has been limited. (laughs) So as for time periods, I think most of our episodes have probably focused on, again, that period from the late 19th century until, let's say, the mid-20th century. That, that's my impression. And as for geographic focus, I think we're, we've clearly focused more on places such as the U.S. and Europe, much less on Asia, especially Central and East Asia, although we have some episodes from there, much less on Africa, although we have a few episodes there, and I think very little on South America, which off the top of my head, I actually do not remember any episode there. So that could be a fail. Well, you're very harsh on grading. But I do think actually, at least temporally, we've actually done a lot. What's actually missing that you're pointing out is we haven't really done very many early modern episodes, that is to say for listeners from roughly 1400 to 1800. That's actually the gap in what we've missed. We've done a lot of say 19th and 20th century and a lot of ancient and medieval, but there's been very little early modern. Do you know what else we haven't done, Merle? You're going to tell me, Lee. So we haven't done the plague of Athens, which I know you like. But more seriously, I think we haven't done prehistoric plagues, which, I mean, as historians, I guess we kind of feel uneasy about because that's the extreme case of having almost no evidence other than the really the genetic evidence and maybe some archaeological evidence about people moving from place to place. But I do know that this is an argument that some people, probably not mostly historians, have been making in in recent times, right? So that big, large-scale migrations of peoples and prehistoric times have been the result of infectious disease outbreaks and pandemics. Now, do we buy that? We could probably debate it, but this is an argument that has been made and we haven't really touched upon it this podcast. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I do think we've touched upon ancient DNA before, so that broadly construed covers some of those topics and techniques at least. But I do think, you know, the podcast is reflective, not surprisingly to an extent on what we want to learn more about, right? I mean, that's what's been great for me is there's lots of topics that I've been interested in, whether it's about questions of disease and race or disease and imperialism and colonialism. These are questions that I've been very curious about. And so it's been good to bring people on the podcast to talk about those very topics. I agree that this podcast has really been a learning experience and it reminds me really of of seminars in university and specifically grad school in which you get these ideas thrown around you by experts or not you. Um, And I think that brings me to a different point, which is to say that as we've spoken to these guests, as we've read some of their materials, as we've really seen the the readings they've recommended, I think that one of my experiences is that it shows to a certain extent at least that academia is fractured. We can argue about how fractured academia is. I'm probably more pessimistic here, but most of our guests have been working on topics that I, I haven't been familiar with. Some have spoken about topics that I haven't known anything about until somebody name dropped that person and we just Google that person and discover that, oh, that this is actually very interesting and relevant to the, the kind of topics and themes that we're interested in. But maybe one of the largest fractures is 
between modern and pre-modern historians. And we can see this among general historians, and but also among historians of disease and even more broadly, historians of science. So I hope this podcast has done a bit to, to bridge those gaps, so to speak. Yeah, I'll just say one more thing to give us credit since you were knocking us a bit for some of our choices and episodes, Lee, is that actually just by virtue of us doing modern episodes and spending a lot of time thinking seriously about popular culture and bacteriology and all of these topics that we've just talked about, that's actually far outside the wheelhouse of most pre-modern historians. And so I think we should get some credit for that, Lee. So Merle, if, if it matters for you, I'll give you credit. You're doing a great job, Merle. You really are doing a great job. Congrats to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sometimes I need a little pat on the back. Okay, so how are we going to continue from here, Merle? After a year, I guess we should probably reflect on this a bit more. So what do you think about continuing from here? So a couple of thoughts I had were, one, at least for now, we'll continue the weekly episodes, although maybe at some point in the future we will start to cut back a little bit just because I know these do take a lot of time. And the other thing is I think we'll start bringing back some of our more popular and guests that we really enjoyed talking to, to have second uh, episodes on the podcast. Since I think some of them will discuss some of these topics we've just spoken about in more detail now that we know to explicitly ask them about them. Yeah, and I think this actually ties back to the dis discussion we had earlier. One thing that we have done well, I think, if you want some more credit, is to bring on people from at different stages of their careers, right? So we've, we've had anything from really graduate students working on a very specialized topic to some senior scholars who have been working on some of these topics really for their entire careers. And naturally, I think that the format we have of an, about a 45-minute interview is something that fits a specific topic. And I think that over the many of the interviews, or at least some of the interviews, we've realized that some of our guests have much more to say on different topics that are of interest. So yes, these are people that we would want to, to bring back and have, have been planning on how to do that in the relatively near future. Yeah, the other question, I guess, Lee, is we could start doing more of these reflective, scripted podcast episodes that are targeted for particular topics. I know Leah, you're particularly keen for me to do one on Foucault, for example. I mean, you just threw his name around so many times, so it seems like you have something to say about him. So, so why not go for it? Yeah, I don't know how exciting that will be, a full hour-long discussion of Foucault. I mean, it could be interesting, but it also could be deeply tiring, put it that way. Let me just say that I'm going to keep whatever you just said, then I'm going to repeat that to you every once in a while. Thanks. I really look forward to it. The other question I had for you, Lee, is I know you're at stats and quant and data guy. That's what we learned last week talking to Ermi. Did you manage to put together some stats in case listeners are curious? You make it sound as if it's so difficult. <laughs> so we have a hosting service. For, for this podcast on Anchor. And they actually do give you some very basic stats, some of which I guess is interesting. I'm not sure how reliable it is. I actually don't think it's very reliable. And I think Merle, you've tried to test some of these things and can prove, I guess, that it's not really reliable. But let's say that it is reliable, at least broadly speaking. So I think that we obviously can't hear from all you listeners. We can hear from some of your listeners, but not from all of you. So these semi-reliable statistics are probably the best best way we can try to understand who is listening to this. And this is actually pretty interesting, I would say. So there is a slight majority of men among you, among our audience. And the most common age group is 35 to 44, which when I read about this, I thought that this might be connected to the fact that both of us 
tend to speak about our children, maybe more than younger or older people would like, let's say. I don't know, maybe. So that's an interesting thing I found out. And maybe another interesting anecdote is that we've had listeners from 78 countries so far, which is pretty impressive. The top five countries in order are the United States, the UK, Canada, and then Israel and Germany. But we've really had lessons from lots of other places as well, places I would not have expected, such as Jamaica or Myanmar or Tanzania or even Guam, which is a pretty small place. Yeah, that's actually quite impressive. So thank you to everyone, wherever you are across the world and whatever your age. And if you do or don't like hearing discussions of our children, we appreciate everyone listening as well. Right. So as we move on to the wrap-up segment of this episode, I actually did have a, one question to you, Merle, before we get to the, the formal wrap-up segment. And it is, until when are you going to finish each and every episode with your trademark, stay safe, stay socially distanced, and something else that's relevant to that ending? I mean, at some point, hopefully in the next year or so, we won't really have to social distance as much and things would be as safe as they usually are in, in our life. So when will you finish this, if at all? Are you going to continue this no matter what? Keep on with your truth? So actually, I just want to point out that in episode zero, I didn't use that exact trademark phrase. It was slightly different. But I think the stay safe could be relevant for a long time and the something else could be relevant. So maybe I will... Think of something funny in the middle at some point to say. I don't quite know when that moment will be, although in and of itself, it would be a fascinating point to reflect upon if you want to go super meta about when I felt comfortable enough to remove that phrase. But that's for a longer discussion, probably. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is your phrase, right? And if it were me saying this, I would probably have stopped using the the stay socially distanced because it doesn't seem to be a big thing here anymore, or at least now. Maybe it'll come back, right? But at least now it, it isn't in Israel. Yeah, I mean, I think it very much is here and probably will be through at least the beginning of May, but likely July even, when enough of the population is, God willing, vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope... I hope as many people as possible get vaccinated as quickly as possible. And on this note, maybe we can return to a topic we said we would talk about in episode zero, if we're trying to, to draw a full circle here, and it is about books. So Merle, what books or, or book are you reading right now? So there's a few things. I now get a subscription to both the New York Review of Books and the London Review of Books which come. And so I read those because they're both very good. And so I read those every evening while the kids are playing, actually. That's cheating. Why is that cheating? Because I asked about books you read, not about reviews of books. <laughs> but let me finish. I also just finished a biography of sorts of Robert Koch, your favorite, second favorite bacteriologist from the turn of the 20th century, Lee. And here I thought that you were reading fiction for your enjoyment, but no, you're reading biographies of Robert Koch. Yeah. Good, good job, Merle. You're a very serious scholar. Definitely more serious than I am. Yeah. I mean, I haven't actually read uh, a fiction book in a long time. I don't quite know why. Perhaps I've just not bought one, not had the time. It's an interesting question. I mean, have you read fiction recently? No, and I think that for me, I explain it by the fact that I've been reading so much academic literature that I think it's difficult for me to just sit down and focus on a single plot and read a book from cover to cover. It's just not the way I've been doing things for the past several years. But I have heard about a book that I do want to read because I've heard about it on multiple occasions already. And this is a, the three-body problem or a three-body problem, which is a science fiction, a Chinese science fiction book, which is actually supposed to be very good. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, that sounds actually quite interesting. So let me know how it is. 
The other book I want to read is there's a woman who got a PhD in Byzantine history and then wrote a science fiction book based loosely on your favorite century, if I recall, the 11th century in Byzantium. And so that's intrigued me. And so maybe I'll pick up a copy of that sometime soon. Yeah. So her name is Anna Linden Weller, and I actually used her dissertation when writing my dissertation. Her books have actually been successful. So she got a, she won a Hugo prize, which is pretty prestigious prize, I would say, in, in science fiction. Yeah. She's the second Byzantinist who went on to write science fiction after Harry Turtledove. Who's fondly remembered by some and maybe not so fondly remembered by others. Huh. I think after the podcast, we'll have to talk about that. Okay, so on this note, I guess we can wrap up this episode, this reflective episode a year after we've started. We'd like to ask all of you, all our listeners, to rate our podcast and maybe share it if you've been enjoying it. So share it with other people and maybe in a year, we can have even more countries on the list of 78 countries that we've had and Merle can count those and be happy. But in the meanwhile, we would want to thank, as usual, the LePage Center for funding this podcast. And as always, our webmaster, Verder Kanati, who's been with us from the beginning and is still working with us. So thanks. And as I like to say, until next time, stay safe, stay socially distanced, I guess unless you're Lee, and give us some ideas of some fiction books to read.